Good morning. I, uh, this is a little different than we were expecting, but I wanted to come to you and thank you so much for all your prayers uh, during the past few months. Like I said, even when I made my announcement on Monday morning, if you will, that it's been a whirlwind for the past couple of months. Well, the reason that I'm doing it this way uh, today is because my wife and I and my family tested positive for COVID-19. Um, every one of us, not just a couple of us, every one of us. And I am feeling good. Uh, Tiffany's feeling good. My daughter-in-law and son and children are feeling better. Uh, we were put on antivirals uh, for it and we are feeling better. And I just want to let you know, thank you so much for your prayers and continue to pray for us as our quarantine will be ending soon. But I did not want to uh, come to the church and, and contaminate anyone else while uh, we were having fellowship and celebration. So thank you again for allowing me to be able to preach to you uh, uh, via this way, if you will. Now, uh, again, I would rather be uh, here to preach this in person, but I will take what the good Lord has given me. And, and also, I just couldn't stand to be away and not preach. So Thank you so much for bearing with me. And as uh, Justin has just read the scripture uh, uh, to you, we will be in the book of Revelation chapter 11. Revelation chapter 11. And if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me there. And I want to give a little recap. Now, as you remember, the past, like I say, couple months, if you will, I've been in and out due to uh, the cancer surgery and to uh, infection and sickness and back and forth, but I wanted to start back in Revelation because if you remember in Revelation 10, there was an interlude and, and, and all of a sudden there's this interlude and we talked about Revelation 10 of what uh, uh, John saw and he was told not to write certain things down and he ate the scroll and now we get into chapter 11. Now this is, as some people have said, one of the most difficult chapters to interpret uh, in, in this apocalyptic literature, if you will, in the book of Revelation. And as I told you when we had first started during the book of Revelation, there are different camps in, in different areas, and you will find that uh, throughout a lot of us believers, brothers and sisters, who disagree with the timing more than anything uh, and, and the exact way of how God will bring things to an end. Now, there again, we all can disagree in certain areas, but one thing we have to agree on is first and foremost that God in his own time and his own way will bring this world to an end. And first and foremost, greater than anything, we have to understand that it's all about Christ. Christ is the center of this and is the focus of this, and it's all for God's glory. Amen. So as we discuss this chapter, I'm going to be spending several weeks here because there's no possible way that I could cover all this in just one sitting. There'll be a lot of questions. There'll be a lot of, hmm, but I want you to investigate scripture. Now, this being said, nothing toward anybody, but before you go with your favorite book or your favorite commentary or what somebody else has said and we regurgitate, read the scripture because what you will find is a lot of illustrations and there's a lot of flavor for the Old Testament here. So here again, let's go through this. And as I go through these verses, I want to explain a couple of things, but then I don't want you to miss uh, trying to identify everything and miss the message of what Christ is revealing to us, okay? 
So let's focus on that as we begin to read Revelation chapter 11. You have already heard it, but let's go through it again. Then I was given a measuring reed like a rod with these words, Go and measure the temple of God and the altar and count those who worship there, but exclude the courtyard outside the temple and don't measure it because it is given to the nations and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. Now, as we look at this first part of this verse, the first part of this chapter in 11, you have an unusual uh, a request, not a request, but a command, if you will, where John is told uh, to measure the city or to measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there, those three things. And there's a lot of interpretation as, as what the temple is. But I want you to understand as we go through this text, again, not to miss the message. You see, this has a Jewish flavor all over it. And to understand the temple, which would be an encouragement to John, we have to go back and look at the temple. Now, the first temple that was built was by whom? Solomon. Remember, David was a man of war. Okay, so he did not build the temple. Solomon did. Solomon built it in great splendor. You'll find this in the book of 2 Kings. You'll also find the dedication in the book of 2 Chronicles about this beautiful temple that was built. But this temple would be destroyed, and the second temple would be built by Zerubbabel. You'll find this story beautiful in the book of Ezra and the book of Haggai, where the second temple is built, by Zerubbabel. Now, it will be uh, desecrated, if you will, by a man named Antiochus Epiphanes, who would sacrifice a pig upon the altar and desecrate the temple. So there's another temple built that was the temple of Herod, okay? Herod, what would say the, the, to revive or rebuild the third temple, if you will, would be the temple of Herod, but it would be destroyed by Titus in AD 70. As a matter of fact, Jesus said that there will be no stone left unturned. And history records that when Titus sacked uh, the temple, that his men actually pried up the stones to get the gold that had uh, run through the crevices. So therefore, no stone was left unturned. And Jesus was true in his prophecy that no stone would be left unturned. Now, you also have the temple, which is mentioned here, and the heavenly temple, if you will. But also, temple is mentioned in the New Testament as our bodies. The Bible tells us that God does not dwell in buildings made by human hands, but he dwells in men's hearts. Uh, we are the temple. Uh, we are the temple, the living temple. And I want you to think about this for a few moments. As John is given this request, he is told to measure. Now, this is very interesting because it is a uh, it is, is, is an illustration going back to the book of Zechariah. You see, when God would measure something, there's usually two reasons. Number one would be destruction. Say in Isaiah 34, uh, the destruction that he, he, he measured out, that everything would be destroyed. But also, according to Zechariah, uh, chapter 2, it was for preservation. And I want you to think about these things just for a few minutes. As John is measuring out this, he is showing that what is God's will remain God's. God is faithful to his promises. 
He will be faithful to his elect. He will be faithful to his people. In the midst of chaos and storms, they will be a remnant. And he that promised in the old will fulfill all throughout. God is faithful to his promises. He will preserve his remnant. And I want you to understand that because this is very important. Now, a lot of people will make the illustration of whether the temple is a literal temple built uh, during the time of tribulation. I subscribe to that. I do. But I don't want anybody to miss the meaning of whether they say it's this or that or what interpretation that you want to go. You must understand that God fulfills his promises. He fulfills his word to his people. His prophecies are true. And he will preserve in the midst of chaos his remnant. Look what the Bible says. And I will grant my two witnesses authority to prophesy for 1260 days dressed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. They have the authority to close of the sky so it does not rain during the days of their prophecy. And they also have the power of the waters to turn them into blood and strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. Now, I want you to think about this. This has a Jewish flavor again. We're on Jewish grounds. This is language that is familiar to him. And after he is told to measure, uh, measure this temple, he talks about two witnesses. Now, there again, this is where a lot of people will make assumptions or try to identify the two witnesses. Now, here's the deal. A lot of people have asked me, Chad, who do you think the two witnesses are? And a lot of times, jokingly, I say, well, it's Hank and Larry. And people look at me like I'm trying to be funny. And my whole point is, look, I don't know. But I have just as much scriptural evidence as anybody else. Now, a lot of people will say it is uh, Moses and Elijah. Well, why do they say that? Okay, why is these two witnesses, Moses and Elijah? Because those are the two people that showed up with Jesus at the Mount of Transfiguration. Now, I want you to also understand that there, there's a little problem with this because even though Elijah left this world, okay, he didn't die. He left this world. Moses died, okay? Moses died and was buried by God. So Moses has passed away. But then you have Enoch. A lot of people would say, well, it's Enoch because Enoch in the book of Genesis was carried away as well. He did not die. So, you know, that's a pretty good argument, you know, because these men will testify and they will die. But also people have said, well, it's, it's the Old Testament and the New Testament, or it's the church and the prophets, or the Old Testament prophets and the apostles. And a lot of people will try to identify. But again, I want you to see that don't spend as much time, time trying to identify with who they are as to identify with the message that they're bringing. This is very important because I want to give you a couple things as we go through this text. Now, exactly, it is not named who they are, but one thing that is made perfectly clear without a shadow of a doubt is they are called, I mean, he is the witnesses, and they have a specific time in which to prophesy. Now, I want to bring this point up because I want you to understand that even in their ministry, they have an allotted time in which to preach. You have heard me often say, 
that everyone is immortal until God calls them home. Every one of you, we all immortal until God says it's time to go. God had ordained and set a time for these men to go out or, or whomever they are to go out and preach the gospel, to shed the, share the good news of Jesus Christ. And I want you to think about it in this perspective. Even if we're talking about the temple, which I believe in the, in the tribulation time, there'll be a temple built. But I want you to understand that we cannot forget the, the, the meaning behind this. That even those who, who want a temple, even the Orthodox Jews now who desire one, it's kind of shaky ground because now the Muslims occupy a portion of that site. So it's very interesting ground right now. But it plays into prophecy, and, and even in even in Daniel, and even though there's some Orthodox Jews who want their temple worship, remember there's a remnant of Messianic Jews, and they will be those that are sealed. We talked about the 144,000 who say it's not temple elements that save us. It's not sacrifice of animals, but by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that saves our soul. And just like the 144,000 that have been sealed and by the power of God in the midst of this chaos sustained by the Holy Spirit, these witnesses will have the power to go out for a limited time that is marked by God and share the true gospel that is not by temples, it's not by sacrifice, but by the blood of the true Lamb, Jesus Christ. And look what it says. These are the two olive trees and two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. Again, going back to Zechariah 4, that's what he's pointing to. That he's talking about the anointed ones in context in scripture there. He was talking about Zerubbabel and Joshua, the high priest. And these were men that were anointed by God. In other words, these witnesses are anointed just like the oil is fuel for the fire. They're the olive trees and the lampstands and the fuel for the fire to share the good news of Jesus Christ because they are anointed by God. If anyone wants to harm them, fire comes from their mouths and consumes their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this way. And they have the authority to close up the sky so it does not rain during the days of their prophecies. They also have the power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. I want you to think about this for a few minutes. That's another reason for the arguments of Enoch and Elijah and Moses because even Moses and Aaron had the power to strike the waters and call down the plagues. Uh, Elijah called down the fire. And, and you will notice that during the reign of King Ahab that Elijah done some great things. But all these men did things for the testimony of God. But also understand that in this text, what you must hear and must figure and see without a shadow of a doubt that God has his hands upon these witnesses who will go out without harm and preach his word. And there will be people saved. But please remember, there will be people that will not. You see, I make this applicable even to this day. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let me go a little bit further. You see, they also have the power over the waters and have the power to turn the blood and strike the earth with every plague whenever they want. And the verse 7 says, And when they finish their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war on them, conquer them, and kill them. And their dead bodies will lie on the main street, of the great city, which figuredly is called Sodom in Egypt, 
where also their Lord was crucified. He is talking about Jerusalem, the spiritually Sodom in Egypt. I want you to think about this. Sodom in Egypt, Sodom who was known by its wickedness. Egypt was known by its bondage upon the Israelite people. He says that they will preach and their bodies will lie on the main street of that great city as they try to preach the word of God. Not only will they be preaching and rejected by some Jews, but they'll also be rejected by Gentiles and their bodies will lay in the streets because they rejected the message of God. After their testimony is ended, God allows them to be killed, but not until the time is up. I want you to understand, and how I make that applicable today is this, that we live in a time and area where God's message must be preached and it is offensive and it hurts and it strikes nerves, but he is the only name in which men can be saved and it must be preached. And look what it says. And their bodies will lie in the great city, which is figuratively is called Sodom in Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. And some, some of the peoples, tribes and languages and nations will view their bodies for three and a half days and not permit the bodies to be put in a tomb. And those who live on the earth will gloat over them and celebrate and send gifts to one another because these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. I want you to think about this. People celebrate when men of God die. Why? Because they love darkness more than they love light. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. As we see this in the future that is unfolding, we live in a time and presence now where men love darkness rather than light. And these men who prophesied, they came out wearing sackcloth. Sackcloth was an outer garment worn that was rough, that indicated mourning, that indicated repentance. These men were not cavalier in their message because they spoke of impending doom and judgment and mourning and repentance. They spoke with true hearts. As we go out into this world today as a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ and others and Christians, we need to speak a message in mourning because judgment is coming. We are so afraid now and we see so many ministers now afraid to preach of the judgment of God. We don't hear the messages of old where men preached that you must be born again, that everybody is unrighteous. There is none righteous, no, not one. And the only way they can be saved is by the blood of Christ. We have seen that these men will be preaching even to those who believe in temple worship. It is not enough. But please understand that regardless of what people may believe, and no matter what people may practice, the only thing that can save is the blood of Jesus Christ. And these men will preach in sackcloth and a rough outer garment in mourning and in repentance of sin. And they will preach that whoever were here, there is a chance to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to think about this again. And if you don't hear another word I say, I want you to listen to this clearly. We live in a world where people say, well, why does God allow this? Why does God let this much go on? Why don't God do this or why don't God do this? I want to show you something that I don't think people get. As I said earlier on in this message, that God is faithful in his promises and he preserves his people. Even in the midst of chaos, in those who reject him, he still shows mercy. Even at the point of the end where all is hell on earth around them, he 
preaches the gospel that men might be saved. But yet they reject them and they celebrate when they die because they torment them. They were tormented by them. Please understand that here it is 2,000 years later and Jesus Christ is still intimidating people. He still strikes the nerves of those who live according to their own good works and will because his will and their will contradict because all of us at one time, past, present, or future have decided that our way was better than God's way. But yet through the mercy and grace of his son, Jesus Christ, for those who place their faith and trust in him and turn from their sin and turn to him are saved. And he that saved us will sustain us in this world that we can be a light to the many. You see, what is coming in this time of tribulation is an opportunity for Jews and Gentiles to be saved. Not everyone will, but God in his rich, wonderful mercy will allow the message to be preached that they may hear the gospel and be saved. The good news of the feet of those who carry the good news. Now look what the Bible says. But after three and a half days, the breath of life from God entered them and they stood on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, come up here. And they went up into heaven in a cloud while their enemies watched him. And that moment a violent earthquake took place and a tenth of the city fell. And 7,000 people were killed in the earthquake. Their survivors were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. Listen, as a result of their message, as a result of their resurrection, there were some that were saved. Because the fear of the Lord came into them. And they were saved. Brothers and sisters, I talked to you this morning and I wish I was in there with you in person to understand this. This is a hard chapter. And again, we're going to be in a few weeks going back over it and going through the temple and going through the witnesses more in detail. But please don't miss the message that God is faithful in his promises and he preserves his people. And in that promise and preservation, even in the midst of chaos, God still is merciful and preaches the gospel. There must be an urgency now. As a preserved people, we must understand that we're going to go through fires, trials, and tribulations. We're going to go through things. And I've said, people says, why does God allow these things? Why does God do this? Let me tell you something. If God was fair, he would send us all to hell because that's what we deserve. God is not fair. He's judge. But under, he's just, but understand that he is gracious and merciful. He is merciful in that the wrath that was due upon us was placed upon his son. And that's good news because we are sinners who deserve hell. But because of God's great mercy and grace, he placed that which was due upon us on his son and he crushed him. And the same power that resurrected Jesus from the dead is alive in all of us who believe. Amen. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day. God, I thank you for your grace, your mercy, and many blessings. Lord, may you be glorified in all things and we'll give you the praise and glory for it. Lord, thank you for the prayers. Thank you for the healing. Thank you for this message, Lord. And Lord, let us continue to search and see that you are faithful in your promises and you will preserve your remnant. You have not forsaken your word. 
And Lord, Jews and Gentiles alike will hear your word and be redeemed. God, but there is also those who will not. But Lord, we cannot neglect to share the gospel. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. God bless you and I love you. Please stand with us as we worship.